Christmas doesn't make sense without Easter. You got to have both of them. So we celebrate the birth. We also celebrate the cross and bringing those two together to secure what you and I couldn't do on our own. Um, This means of salvation. So we are incredibly grateful. If you can stand with me once again, I know you're kind of settled in, but if you could stand with me again, I would like to read out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, I'm going to read again what we read last week, verses 1 through 11. We're going to spend our time in verses 4 to 7 and then down in verse 11. Come back next week and pick up uh, verses 8 to 10. So chapter 12, Paul's writing and he says this. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healings by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. Father, it is by Your oneness and yet by Your diversity that we find out what a wonderful, creative, beautiful God You are. And Father, it's through uh, the oneness of the body, yet through the diversity of the gifts that we find uh, in front of us and around us a beautiful, diverse, and creative church. And so I thank you, Father, how you bring all of this together in your mind, and I pray that you would help it to come together in our minds this morning, that we could understand uh, what you want us to grasp uh, from this idea of gifts benefiting the body. We love you. We thank you for your word. Help me now as I speak it in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated this morning. If there's one thing that Paul desires in this church at Corinth, it's unity. And if there's one reason why they don't have it, it's because of their relentless pride in this church at Corinth. This is a church, as we've been studying and finding out, that will divide over anything. This church will divide over leadership. It will divide over philosophy of ministry. It will divide over legal matters. It will divide over sexual matters, marriage matters. It will divide over food. And most immediately, it will divide over spiritual gifts. In some ways, when you study this church, it's almost as if they are looking for ways to divide. It's like they're looking for ways to sort of elevate themselves in some superior fashion to somebody else. It's as though they can't get enough of themselves. They're self-centered, they're egotistical, they're almost childish in many ways. And Paul has a vested interest in bringing unity in this church at Corinth. 
He wants to see them come to maturity. He wants to see them to be a growing church that's moving together in one direction and not constantly splintering and dividing over all of these different issues. It's interesting to me, however, in saying that, that if you read through the books of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, never once does Paul write or use the word unity. It's amazing as you look through there. It's all over the book. It's written there, the concepts, but never once does he use the word unity. Why not? Because Paul understood something and he happened to share it to the Ephesians. And let me tell you what he told to the Ephesians and and we'll pick up on this. So listen closely. He tells the Ephesians, he says, be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Here's the key. The Spirit of God generates unity. The Spirit of God works for unity. Now, let me say something critical here. We do not have to create unity in the church. And you say, well, now, wait a minute. We have to get unity here. We have to create. No, we don't have to create unity. All we have to do is stop division. The Spirit of God creates unity. Unity is the norm. Unity is what is there by the very virtue of the Spirit of God. We don't have to create unity. Unity is by default. Division is by choice. When you take two believers who are possessed by the Spirit of God, who are walking by the Spirit of God, between those two believers, you will have unity. You have joy. You will have a walking alongside each other. Um, Those two believers have to create division. Unity is there by nature, by, by their spiritual nature. There's unity there. So Paul says and Paul implies throughout his letter, you don't have to create unity. I just want you to stop the division. I want you to stop the division and the fighting. That's what we've been learning over the last several weeks and months as we've been going through this letter. Now, one of the ways that Paul is going to help the Corinthians and us by by application to stop the division is to help them understand this wonderful and creative and diverse God that they serve. Uh, Because if they, they grasp that, they'll understand that they both need him and they need each other. And when you and I find that we need God and we need each other, then that causes us to shy away from division. Because if I need you, if I'm dependent upon you, then I certainly don't want to divide with you. I don't want to fight with you. And so Paul is is helping them understand this. And it's neat this morning how he does this in this passage. Now remember from last week, we we talked about that the Corinthians were dragging some of their past into their church setting into their worship setting. The, the pagan practices of, of what were called, called ecstasy were creeping back into this church. Ecstasy was that drummed up, um, artificial, um, this created feeling of some spiritual high. It was brought about by pulsating music. Sometimes it was brought about by the inhalation of fumes and loud and kind of boisterous Utterances of, of some divine uh, words supposedly that were spoken. And ideally, a person would enter into this mood or this feeling of ecstasy. And, and in that experience, he would commune with the divine. It was 
almost as though he could leave his body. And, and in the pagan world, when they would leave the temples, they had this feeling that they were outside of themselves uh, in this mode of, of ecstasy. It's the same reproduction that some circles create today when they try to generate feelings of, of a spiritual high, of a, a spiritual ecstasy through loud music or through jumping or shouting. It's meant to feel as though the divine has somehow arrived. I know, I know of uh, one church, I've heard of one church, I, I haven't been there to experience this, but I've heard of one church that uh, they blow a shafar. Do you know what a shafar is? It's like a ram's horn. Uh, and they blow a, a shafar uh, in the middle of the service to indicate when the Holy Spirit has arrived. It's meant to um, excite the people that the Spirit is now here. Uh, it's a way of creating a, a feeling of, of ecstasy, a feeling of experience. It's the rituals of the Corinthian past that they were dragging into this church. Now, in the midst of this ecstasy in the Corinthian church, things got really messed up. Things got really messed up. There were people standing up in the middle of the service, shouting above the others, Jesus is accursed. Now, it's hard to imagine that that would happen, but in their lack of discernment, they were actually affirming that as a word from the Spirit. Now, you and I know that that can't possibly be true because it doesn't align with the teachings of Scripture. Jesus isn't accursed. In fact, we know that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Master. Jesus is the Great Shepherd. Jesus took the curse of death upon himself, but he wasn't cursed in the sense that he was damned into hell, which is what the word accursed means. Jesus didn't experience that. He's not residing in hell. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Jesus isn't a curse. No, Jesus is Lord. And so Paul is going to bounce off of that concept that Jesus is Lord, and he's going to say, nobody can say Jesus is Lord unless he's possessed by the Spirit. But there's also other ways that the Spirit shows itself in the worship setting. And it's what we call spiritual gifts. And, and Paul's getting ready to say, the Spirit is there in a true believer, helping him to acknowledge and live out that Jesus is in fact Lord, he's the Master. And that same Spirit has given all of you that are believers these various gifts. And together, um, as you practice these gifts, you find out that the Spirit is manifest. He's, he's there in the practice of these gifts. God is blessed every man and woman who believes in him with a gift. And these gifts collectively show how great he is and they bring unity in the body. And in so bringing unity, Paul's hope is, is that it will end this awful fighting that's taking place in this church at Corinth. That they'll get over themselves and see how they need each other. So this is Paul's goal. This is our goal as we look at this this morning. So let's look at verse 4, and we'll start there, and we'll work our way down through. So verse 4. Now there are a, a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of service, but the same Lord. There are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. It's the same Spirit... It's the same Lord. It's the same God. It's one Godhead. 
And in these three verses, Paul brings all of the Godhead to bear on the life of the Corinthians. The Godhead is three separate persons, but yet they're equal in essence. It's a mystery for sure. We don't quite understand exactly how that can be, but it's scriptural. There's the same God, and yet we see them acting in various functions, in various activities. So we see how wonderfully diverse they are, and yet they're all one. They're all the same. Let's look at this together. There are a variety of gifts. Gifts are those spiritual gifts that each believer receives when he or she is converted. And I would argue that every believer has at least one gift, and I would say most believers have more than one. Now, those are working in conjunction, and some people are blessed more than others, and we'll look at some of the examples next week, Lord willing. Um, But every believer has a gift, maybe two, maybe three gifts that they're using together. Look down at verse 8, and we'll look at some of these, uh, just as some examples. Verses 8 to 10, he talks about gifts of wisdom and knowledge and faith and healing. If you glance over to verse 28 in that same chapter, you see some other gifts. There are helpers and administrators. There's interpreters of tongues. There's a slew of of gifts. There's a whole variety of gifts. And that word varieties there signifies that the church of Christ reveals unity in diversity. When you look at the church of Christ, you will see a a diversity, but yet you will see unity. You'll see all these different people running around with all these different gifts, but yet somehow they all have the same mind. They're all working for the same purpose. We're all dependent upon one another. No one person is greater than another in the body of Christ. We need each other. Not everybody can be the ear. We need some eyes in the church. Not everybody can be the hands. We need some feet in the church. It's a body. We all need each other. I know some of you in this room like to to play golf. And I do too. I I don't get the opportunity to play as much as I, I did at one time. But I am one of those guys that will occasionally pay money to chase a little white ball around the grass. I know, that's what some of you call it. When you go golf you have this golf bag full of a variety of clubs. You have drivers, you have irons, you have putters, you have all these, these different kinds of gloves, uh, clubs. And each club has a specific duty, a specific function. Okay? Uh, it takes all of them to advance the golf game correctly. I had a buddy when I lived in Evansville that I would go golf with occasionally, um, and he played his entire golf game with one club. It was a nine iron. Um, I remember the first time I went golfing with him and we stepped up to the tee box and and he pulls out a nine iron to tee off. And um, I could see him looking at me because I had this look on my face just kind of like, what are you you doing? And and he just calmly remarks, he said, oh, I don't play well with the other clubs. This is the only one I can get along with. Okay. Um, So he teed off with a nine iron. Um, I didn't tell him, but he didn't get along well with the nine iron either um, because uh, you can imagine that ball was all over the place. Um, He didn't end the game well. I'm a horrible golfer. 
Don't ask me to go golfing on your team. But I enjoyed playing with him. Uh, why? Because he was the only person I could ever beat playing golf. Um, because he used one club. Now, was it because I was so good? No, I was not good. Um, but he was not playing with all of the variety of clubs that he had available. That's Paul's point. Paul says, God is a creative, he's a diverse, he's a wonderful God, and he has blessed the body of Christ with diverse gifts. And you need all of them. You can't just play with a nine iron. You can't just have a person who's gifted in speaking or or gifted in hospitality. You need all of them to come together in order to play an effective game. Uh, One person can't try to just outdo the others. It's not going to work. One person can't elevate and say, I'll do them all. It simply won't work. We need every gift. We need them all. Why? So we can have unity in the church and we can be moving forward in one direction. We can all come together. A church divided will falter and it will fail, but a church that's unified will move together in rhythm. And off they'll go to advance the kingdom of God. There's no place in the church for elevating one gift above another. That was happening in the Corinthian church. In particular, they were elevating the gifts of tongues and the gifts of prophecy above the others. And they were saying, these gifts are far more important. And yeah, we know that all of those gifts are out there, but these are the best. These are the highest. And as a result, they were all trying to get the gifts of tongue and prophecy. And the church was faltering. The church was dividing. The word gift spiritual gift is the word charis in Greek. It's, it's from which we get our word charismatic. Now, in our English language, charismatic takes on a different meaning. When we think of somebody and we say somebody has a charismatic personality, we often mean that he's charming, that he's engaging, that he's persuasive, that he's easy to listen to. But in the Greek, uh, the word charis or charismatic simply means grace. And grace means what? Grace means an undeserved gift. Listen, folks. When you look at your spiritual capacity and you look at your spiritual gift, remember this. It is charisma. It is a gift. It is grace. It is undeserved. Whatever gift that God has given you, you don't have it because you earned it. And because you didn't earn it, you certainly shouldn't be elevating yourself above others. It is a gift given to you to help the rest of the body. One commentator says it like this, spiritual gifts are not a badge of spirituality, but a mark of grace. I like that. It's a mark of grace. There are a variety of gifts, but it's one spirit, one spirit, that brings all those together. It's that same spirit that in giving those gifts is desiring to build unity. The whole church moving together in one direction. Now, not only is there a variety of gifts, but there's a variety of service. Look again at verse (coughs) 5. Excuse me. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. Service is the word for ministry. It has as its root... Um, the word for servant. It's the word diakonos. And if you remember from a while back, we studied that word. It's where we get our word deacon. A deacon is simply a servant. Diakonos means to serve, to be a servant. And so when, when 
uh, Paul here talks about that there are a variety of services. He's not talking about a formal office of deacon per se. He's simply saying your gift was given to you to serve others. There are parallels here. <coughs> Excuse me. Gifts in verse 4 is paralleled with service in verse 5. It's another word, a different way of looking at the same thing. Verse 5 is meant to tell us what the purpose of your gift is. The purpose of your gift is to do what? Is to serve others. It's to serve others. I'm given a gift so that I can serve. Now, it's interesting to note in verse 5 that the gift service or the variety of services is attached with the name Lord. Who is the Lord? Well, he's Jesus Christ, right? At least according to verse 3, Jesus Christ is Lord. So we know that the Lord is Jesus Christ. Do you want to hear something fascinating about the Lord Jesus Christ? Look no further than Mark ten forty-five. It says, For the Son of Man, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to what? To serve. That's what the Son of Man came to do. Who was the greatest servant of all? Jesus Christ. Who are you and I supposed to look and act like? Jesus Christ. What does it mean to look and act like Jesus Christ? It means to serve. That's what it means to be like Jesus Christ. Your spiritual gift was given to you so that you could serve. You could serve the body. Jesus exemplified this perfectly, didn't he? Jesus helped the hungry. Jesus led the disciples. Jesus healed the lepers. Jesus prayed for the needy. Jesus spoke the truth. Every single spiritual gift that you and I have received as a gift of the Spirit was first in Jesus Christ. Jesus had every spiritual gift. He modeled them all perfectly. He was the the prime example of servanthood. Now, when Jesus Christ left the earth, no one human being could take on every gift that Jesus had. And so in God's wisdom, he spreads them out. And so one person has the gift of speaking. Another person has a gift of hospitality. Another person has a gift of being a helper. Another person has a gift of being an administrator. All of these gifts that were once contained in Jesus Christ are now spread out to the body. But just like Jesus Christ... We're supposed to take those and we're supposed to serve others. It's actually a great responsibility to be like Jesus Christ. It's critical that we serve and that we minister to one another. Why? Because that's what guards the unity. That's what keeps the unity in the church as you and I serve one another. As soon as someone steps up and doesn't serve, there's a gap in the body. There's a hole in the body when someone doesn't serve. When I injured my shoulder uh, for six weeks, I had to keep my arm in a sling. These muscles right there quit serving. And so now um, it's difficult for me to lift my arm. Thank you, Jim. (laughs) It's okay. Thank you. It's difficult for me to move my arm. My arm is immobile in one sense because there's a certain portion of muscles that aren't doing what they're supposed to do. They're not serving the rest of my body. In order for there to be unity in my body and in in this shoulder, everything has to work. Everything has to serve. Otherwise, there's not a fluid movement there. There's stiffness. There's soreness there. It's the same thing in the church. 
the same thing. Everyone has to keep serving. Everyone utilizes their gifts. And if any one person stops, there's stiffness there. There's soreness. There's, there's division. So here's the million-dollar question. Are you serving? And if so, how are you serving? And if not, why aren't you serving? If you're a believer, if you're a true believer, you have a gift. And your responsibility, your obligation, is to use that gift to serve in the church so we have unity. And you say, well, I don't know where to serve. I can give you a whole list of examples. Let me just give you a few that's happening right now. You can make cookies, Dwight mentioned this morning, 180 dozen. My goodness, that's a lot of cookies. No one person should be expected to make all those. You can serve by doing that. You can serve by working in the nursery on Sunday mornings. Every Sunday, people back there serving us so that we can enjoy our time in here and they're watching our little ones. You can serve by visiting some widows and we have some. They're... they're, um, Some of them are listed in our our prayer guide, in our bulletin. Go visit them, especially around Christmas. Go see them. That's a way that you can serve. We're getting ready to have Jubilee Christmas here in a week or two. You can serve. Come help wrap wrap gifts. Come help be a blessing to people. You can serve. You can serve by giving money. And many, if not most of you, uh, did that this morning when we passed around the the offering plates. You can serve the body by giving of your resources. Um, Joyce is looking for people to sing in a choir. Folks, there are umpteen ways you can serve the body of Christ. That's the beauty of service. You can take one gift and you can use it in a number of ways. Think about the gift of teaching, for example. Think about that as a gift of the Holy Spirit to teaching. It can look a number of different ways. It can look like the preacher who's standing here and and teaching the congregation. It can look like a Sunday school teacher. It can look like an Awana teacher. It can look like a discipleship group leader. It can look like a small group leader. It's one gift. It's a gift of the Spirit teaching, but there are a variety of services It can look a whole bunch of different ways throughout the body. That is the beauty of a wonderful, diverse, creative God who has blessed the church so that in its diversity, it actually comes together in unity as they serve each other with these various gifts that they have. It is absolutely beautiful. The flip side of that is also true. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention it. If you are a believer you have a gift and you are to serve with it. If you are not serving, that's a problem. If you're not serving, it's a problem. If the only action manifest in your life that you are a true believer is that you show up on Sunday morning and you occupy a pew, uh, then clearly something's wrong. If there's no other place where you're you're serving the body, um, you need to be asking yourself some serious questions and just know this. uh, While you're not serving... The church is limping. We need you. We want you. We desire for you to be serving. It's how we function, how we come together. Um, My arm can lift, but it's stiff, it's sore. And there are muscles in, in my back that have to lift my arm because these muscles aren't working. It's the same thing in the church. We can function, but there are some people then that have to do some lifting that maybe they weren't designed to do to carry the load of others that aren't doing what they should be doing. We need you. We want you. 
So look around. How can I serve? Where am I plugging into this church other than just coming and worshiping on Sunday morning? And we're glad you're here. I don't want to, to discount that. But how are you serving? Where are you plugging in? So it's a creative God who's given a variety of gifts in a variety of services and finally in a variety of activities. If you look at verse 6, he says there are a variety of activities but it's the same God who empowers them all. Activities has as its root the word energy. And we would say that every gift is given a certain amount of energy. God energizes it. He empowers it. Now, to one person, he might give the same gift that he gives to another, but to this one, he might give more power. Maybe there's a different usefulness than he gives to this one. Again, it's not to say one is better than the other. That's God's choice, who he energizes in different ways to serve the body. Um, And just remember it like this. To whom much is given, much is required, right? So if God has energized you, if he has equipped you with a gift, then you are to use that. For the person who has greater teaching gifts, then more is required of him in terms of teaching. To the person who has greater financial resources, more is required of that person in to serve the body through God's gift of, of helping him to make money. But for the person who has a greater gift of hospitality, then God expects that that person will use that gift and perhaps they are hosting families and, and doing more visitation than others. It's up to God how he energizes that. That's what's so beautiful about it. It's a diverse God, God the Father, Son, and Spirit, yet they're still one. It's a diverse number of gifts, different services, different way they serve, and different levels of activity. Some are more than others. And it's beautiful as you look around and see how how God has done that. Even the gospel is a display of God's unity in diversity. Let me explain that for a second. You and I are sinners, right? We're separated from God. And so God had to develop a plan for how he was going to save this fallen humanity. It was God's plan, the Bible says, from eternity past. God designed it. He thought it up. But his plan was this. He was going to send Jesus on Christmas Day. Jesus would walk the earth, live as a man, live a sinless life, and die on the cross and raise three days later. Jesus fulfilled the plan of God. Then God's plan was, I'm going to take Jesus, I'm going to bring him back to my side, and then I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And in sending the Holy Spirit, I'm going to bring about the salvation of many across the world. And he's going to gift people with spiritual gifts. Notice what's happening here. It's one Godhead, but yet it's diverse. God the Father planned it, Jesus Christ carried it out and now the Spirit of God enacts it, enables believers to come to that saving knowledge of Christ. It's diversity, but it's unity. One plan. God is like that all over the place and that's how he expects us to be. We serve a wonderful, creative God. Now that's the first point. The second point, and we'll go through this a little bit quicker, is this. Unity then because God is a unified, but yet he's a diverse, creative, wonderful God. Unity then manifests itself in a wonderful, creative, and diverse church. 
No one in the church, in, in Providence or any other church, is expected to be exactly the same as, as everybody else. That's what makes it beautiful, and that's what makes it work, because it's creative, it's diverse. Look at verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. If you are converted, if you are a believer, you have a spiritual gift, why did you receive it? For the common good. It's what we've been describing all along. It's to serve others. Your gift wasn't given to you to benefit you individually. It was given to you to benefit the body. Now, don't get me wrong. Your spiritual gift will inevitably bless you just by the mere fact that you possess it. But the fact that you possess it is not the reason, that blessing in your life was not the reason why it was given to you. You, you were given that gift so that you could be a blessing to others. That's why Paul later, by the way, is so critical about tongues that weren't being interpreted. He's saying, if you speak in tongues and there's no interpretation, then those tongues may benefit you individually, but that's not why you were given the gift. You were given the gift to benefit the body. And so there's got to be an interpretation or the benefit that it was given for doesn't exist. So Paul says, your gift, whatever it is that you were blessed with, is given to you to edify others. And in so edifying others, it brings about unity. It brings about this moving forward of the church in its mission to make disciples. We're a functioning, fluid church. Think about, it, think about it like this. Some of you in this uh, room this morning are Indianapolis Colts fans. And if you're not, by the way, you're being divisive. We need to talk later. Um, but we're Indianapolis Colts fans, right? Now, when the offense of that team comes out, they are unified in a common goal of scoring a touchdown, right? That's their goal. But when that that offense comes out onto the field, their individual responsibilities are quite different. Some of those players are exceptionally large. Okay? I was at a, a buffet once. I don't remember where it was at, but there was a football team that walked in, and I felt about that tall, which I don't feel real tall anyway. But these guys are huge. I mean, every direction. Those big guys are charged with what responsibility? They are to block, right? Nobody gets to the quarterback unless you come through me, the blocker, okay? And then you have other people on that offense um, that aren't big like that, but they're extremely quick. These are the guys that are receivers or the running backs, and, and their responsibility is to run down the field and catch the football as it's thrown through the air. And then, of course, you have the quarterback um, he might be fast, he might be slow, he, he might be taller, he might not be quite as tall, but he will certainly be able to throw the ball with uh, tremendous accuracy for a great distance. That's his responsibility. So when this offense comes onto the field, all of these different players uh, take all of their different positions, but they all have one goal, and that is to advance the ball down the field and score the touchdown. If all of those players came out on the field and they all wanted to be the quarterback, that team is not going to win. That team is not going to do very well. It's the exact same thing in the church. You were given a gift 
and you were given a responsibility. We all aren't the quarterback. We all aren't the running back. We are a a diverse group of gifted men and women that have one common goal. And what is that? To see the gospel of Jesus Christ advanced. To see others coming into the kingdom of God. That is our unified goal. And if we fail to use our gifts, the church will suffer. The church will falter. Last verse, and we'll close with this one. Verse 11. We'll come back to 8 to 10 next time. Uh, Verse 11. All these are empowered by the one in the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. It's a reiteration of an earlier point. Who gets a spiritual gift? Every believer. Every single one. Notice in verse 11 that word individually. Individually. It's the, I love this. It's the Greek word idia from which we get our English word idiot. <laughs> Wait a minute, Paul. Are you calling us all idiots here? Well, of course not. Do you know why we use the word idiot in our English language? Which, by the way, you should never do. Okay, don't do this. But why do people call other people idiots? What they're saying with that English word is, he's one of a kind. (laughs) There is nobody else like him. He's an idiot, right? Paul picks up on that and he says, it's in that sense that you were given a spiritual gift. gift. You're one of a kind. You might have the same gift as another person, but the way you use it to serve others is different. You might have the same service as somebody else, but the energy that God has given you, your ability to carry that out might look very different. You are one of a kind. There's nobody else like you. And Paul says, God has given all of those believers to the church so that together, together, we move forward. It creates an incredibly wonderful, diverse, and creative church. And one of my joys as your pastor is to look around this church and just be amazed at how God has gifted different people in different ways. And there's no way this church could ever function with just one guy standing behind the pulpit never happen it takes the whole body and it is such a joy to see how that works in this body of believers we are one body and when we all fire together on all cylinders it's a united church marching together as one army of god advancing the kingdom we don't all look alike we don't all act alike but we're all under the same orders from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and that is, you spread my gospel. You use the body of Christ to come together in such a way that when people look at you, they see Christ, and they want to know more about Christ. And as you have that ability to give them Christ, they too can join into this wonderful, fluid organism institution we call the church. Folks, this is bigger than just us. This is bigger than just me and you. We're part of this grand story that God has started, that he's planned from ages past, and we are in this beautiful thing that he calls the church, his bride. And it's up to you and I to carry on that story, to be part of that, to usher in one day Jesus Christ who establishes the kingdom of God forever. Are you with me on this one? Are you with me on this journey?
Where are you serving? How are you making that function happen? Let's pray together. Father, what a tremendous privilege to be the lowly preacher of a church that you've blessed with such amazing gifts. I thank you for this church. I thank you for how people in Providence take their gifts and they use them to the maximum. I'm thankful that uh, as we do that, we, we find each other uh, more closely identified as brothers and sisters. We, we love each other. We, we get along. We look for ways to minister. We, we look for ways um, to wash each other's feet as you will. Father, help us to be a people that aren't afraid to get our hands dirty, that aren't afraid to do the the things that must be done. Father, help us to be a people that are incredibly grateful for whatever you've given to us because it's a gift of grace. Our life is a gift of grace. Our salvation is a gift of grace. And as we gaze upon your beauty, a creative and diverse God, I pray that we would then look down and see a creative and diverse church of which we're a small part, but yet we're an integral part. You've given us a responsibility. It's important that we serve. And so I pray that we would look for those. And I pray uh, for anyone that's here this morning that, that isn't serving. I pray that they would realize that we need them. The church is limping without them. Father, that they would step up and they would serve. Thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you for convicting us of our sin. Thank you for opening our eyes to our need for a Savior. And thank you that Jesus Christ died on a cross for our sins. We will forever sing your praise. We will ever, forever sing your glory for that one event, that one thing that helped us, that saved us. We love you. Thanking you in Jesus' name. Amen.